All right, good morning, church. Good to see you today. Open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12. What a powerful chapter this is. Um, you know, I, I came across this, you know, it happens, you open the Word of God and and you, you come across a chapter like this and you wonder why, I wonder why I haven't preached every Sunday. It's a fantastic chapter. It offers tremendous hope during this time in the 21st century. It is almost as though God speaking through the prophet of Isaiah has plans for a prophecy to be fulfilled and hope to be fulfilled in the middle of our pandemic in the 21st century. God sees beyond time. And that's the beauty of God's word. It is truly timeless. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 12. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to you and I as he says, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Let's pray together. Father, we, we relish these words. Help us to hear them, to understand them, to open our hearts, to receive them through your spirit. Give us spiritual insight today. What you're doing in this world what you are desiring to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, When God Calls. When God Calls. I get a lot of phone calls. Uh, you probably do too. Among my calls, I have congregation members who call me. I have friends who call me. I have salespeople who call me. There's a special group of people that call me every day, and uh, as they call you about our car warranty, um, and they're incessant. Now, I block them every time they call, but they're clever people. They never call from the same number twice. Even if it's the same recording, they'll use, uh, they probably have, I'm assuming, computers and software that creates or generates numbers or has, I don't know how many numbers, but they Call and call and call. So when that phone rings and I look at it, I'm processing. Who is this? And my paranoia is I'm so fearful because it doesn't show or register who it is that it might be a church member. And I always want to be available to you. And so sometimes I will answer it only to hear the familiar offer um, about my car. Or insurance. Sometimes it's insurance. Usually it's the car warranty. You would think they would come up with something original, wouldn't you? But they don't. There are some calls, though, that I get that I cannot answer quickly enough. It's somebody that's a value in my life or that's important to me. And I know that if they're calling me, it's, it's relevant and important. And I look forward to the call. I can't wait to answer so that I can talk to them. Interesting about this passage, though, it's a two-way street. You see, I make calls on my phone as well. I may call you or call others, and 
Have you ever called anybody and they didn't answer? And you, your, your insecurity and paranoia began to run amok in your mind. Well, they must not think I'm very important or they, you know, this or that or the other. And then a few minutes later it rings and it's them and, and they said, I'm sorry, I was on another line. It was, I was talking to somebody else and you realize you're worried for nothing. Well, we receive calls and we give calls. Today's passage is both a calling to God and a calling from God. It's an offer that he gives, but also an opportunity to come to him. So I want to share with you these words. This, this whole chapter is fantastic. If you ever come to a point in your life where you think, I would like to memorize a chapter here and there, Memorize chapter 55 of Isaiah. It's just beautiful. I can't spend all the time that I need in all of this chapter today, but I'm just going to look at some highlights uh, together with you. The first thing that we see is a call to God. A call to God. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, would you turn there with me? If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 6. We're going to back up a little bit to verse 6, and then we're going to move forward. This, again, is God calling. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Isaiah was an interesting man, and he lived in an interesting time. And I say this about the life in which we are living right now. We find ourselves in an interesting time in this world. It's been an interesting year, and I think 2021 will be an interesting year as well. But you and I live in an unprecedented time in history. Just cell phones that I mentioned a while ago, when I began pastoring this church, nobody had a cell phone. <laughs> You can believe that. We have pocket pagers, but no cell phone. And so when, when the cell phones began to develop, they, they were just for phone calls at first, and then more and more and more, and the iPhone came out, and, and now they're just pocket computers, and we do everything with those phones. All of our music's there, et cetera, et cetera. We used to save music. Remember that? Just download as many songs, or you would copy them on it, so you have your library of music. Now you just, you, they're all online. It, it's extraordinary what has happened. I'm not going to say it's great, but it is, it is unusual for the first time in all of history. When I was a little boy, if somebody called our house, of course, that's the only way they can call us is through our house. It was a phone that was connected with a wire to the wall. And if we were home, we could answer it. If we weren't home, we didn't answer it. We, we couldn't afford a, an answering machine when those came out. They were too expensive. So they just had to keep calling until they caught us at home. A call. Well, God is making a call here. Isaiah lived in a time, and again, it, it is a unique time. I told you before that Isaiah ministered in the northern kingdom of Israel because the nation or God's people had split into two kingdoms, the northern ten tribes that made up Israel and the, and the, the, the bottom two tribes of Israel made up Judah. So it was Israel and Judah, and they each had their own kings. Judah was made up of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Now, they shared one thing in common. They didn't like each other, by the way. In fact, 
the kings would go to war with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom would go to war with each other on multiple occasions, but they not only would do that, they would bring in other kingdoms, the Assyrians, etc., to to team up with them against their own fellow Jews in the other kingdom. And so they just didn't get along well at all. But they shared one thing in common. They were both unfaithful to God. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they were idolatrous. They abandoned God and their faithfulness to him on so many occasions throughout so many generations. And God has come to the brink of judging them because of it. And, and not just the brink, over, over the brink, over the edge, because they refused to repent. So in 722, the northern 10 tribes were overthrown by the Assyrians and they were hauled off to Assyria, dispersed all over uh, the kingdom of Assyria. And then in 587, the southern two kingdoms of Judah, uh, Judah and Benjamin, uh, that's where Jerusalem was. Jerusalem was destroyed and all of Judah was hauled off to Babylon. They were destroyed by the Babylonians. Now in all of this, these people were very idolatrous. That is, they, they abandoned God. They abandoned their faith in God. So I want to be very clear today. When I talk about a call to God or a call from God in this passage and in our life, first and foremost, there, in order for us to come to God, there is, there is a need to remove anything that separates us from God. And there is only one thing that keeps you and I from God, and that is our sin in our life. Those things that we say or do or think that dishonor God. God is not much on pretending. Forgiveness is not pretending, by the way. It is a clean slate completely. And he's offering a clean slate to the, to the Israelites here and to you and me as well. So there are those that lived in 722 when the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. There were those that lived in 587 when the southern kingdom was conquered by the Babylonians. But there were a few that lived long enough or were born just the right time where they saw both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom fall, and that was Isaiah. He witnessed both of those things happening. And so when we look at the prophecies of God through Isaiah and the call of God through Isaiah, he's appealing both, depending on when he wrote, earlier or late in his ministry, he's speaking to one or the other. And you would think after the northern ten tribes had been conquered, that the southern two tribes, they would repent. They would go, oh, we don't want to be conquered. We need God. We, we need to come back to God that we will be faithful to him. They didn't do it. <coughs> they had every chance. God sent Jeremiah to prophesy to them and they ignored him and put him in stocks and made fun of him and didn't have anything to do with his words or God's words through him. So, when we look at a call here, it's a call to start life over again under God's leadership. Look at the verse. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let me stop right there and just say this. God is implying here that he will not always be available. I told you, we can only answer the phone while we're home. Those of you who are older remember waiting on an important call and you couldn't leave the house until the call came. And it was frustrating, just waiting, waiting, waiting. My kids don't even know that because it's, it's in their pocket all the time. There's no waiting anymore. You had to wait for it because when the call came, you needed to be there if it was important enough. You didn't dare leave until the call came because if you know if you left, it would be too late. 
Well, God says, I'm calling. Exactly, right there. God was calling. And he says, you have an opportunity to come to me. I'm calling you to me. But you won't always have this chance. You have the chance now. I'm waiting by the phone. I'm waiting to hear from you. So he says it this way. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Now's the time. Now's the opportunity, he's telling the Israelites and to you and I. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. President Trump, a week or so ago, I guess it was last week, yes it was, he, or this, just this last week, I think Tuesday, he pardoned a bunch of people. Now every president uh, does pardons on their last day uh, in office. That's just what they do. It's interesting to see who a president pardons. And there was all kinds of speculation about who President Trump would pardon. And he pardoned a lot of people, although not nearly as many as other presidents. And it's something that every single president does. They have pardon power, and they usually wait until the last few days of their tenure in office, and then they pardon whoever they want to pardon. And there is nothing that anybody can do about it. They can pardon anybody they want. It's one of the odd things about being president, one of the little caveats of being president, you have pardon power. I find that interesting. I don't know what I would do. Uh, I don't know who I would pardon, frankly, but there were people expecting to pardon, wanting to be pardoned. They just felt confident. One guy had his limo waiting in the parking lot of the prison for his big pardon to come through, and President Trump did not pardon him. You can imagine the limo driver going, uh, all right. Back to the, back to the office. Uh, pardons. God is talking about a pardon here. Now, pardon is, even though they don't deserve it, they're going to get it anyway. They're going to be re- re- removed from prison. They're going to be released. They're going to be freed because of the mercy of God. The Israelites in the northern kingdom didn't deserve it. Those down in Judah didn't deserve a pardon from God. But God says, I'm merciful, and I am allowing you to call me. I'm waiting for your call right now. An insurance agent I heard once tried repeatedly to get a man who had built a new home to insure his house for fire insurance. But the man said, no, I know every wire in this house. I helped wire it myself or I watched it be wired and I know this is a great house. It was well built. It's extremely safe. Insurance is a complete waste of money on this house. I'm not going to do it. And then one night he woke up and uh, there was smoke in the house. And by morning, the house was engulfed in fire. You know what the guy did? As quickly as he could, he ran to the insurance office to take out fire insurance. Well, the insurance agent heard the sirens. He knew the guy's house was on fire. And he said to him, no, I'm not going to sell you insurance now. Your house is burning down right now. It's too late. God says there's a window of opportunity. It is your assumption and my assumption very often that we just assume God will always be there and we will always be around and always have the opportunity to come to God. But there will come a time where it is too late. Our life will come and go and it will be too late. And so right now he says, I'm giving you the opportunity for a pardon while he may be found. Secondly, it's a call to God's plan. It's a call to God, but it's also a call to God's plan. Look with me in Isaiah 55, verse 8. The very next verse, it says, 
God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, he says two things in this, this part of the passage. Number one, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I told the early service, I think this is the greatest understatement in all of history. <laughs> because God's thoughts are definitely not our thoughts. It, you think about the totality of God, and, and we cannot fathom that. We cannot comprehend that. I told you last week, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, about the, the theology that Hollywood has about God and, and, and the way that they perceive God is so minimal. This week, I watched a clip from a, a movie I actually enjoyed uh, theologically, uh, obviously not very accurate, but it was an enjoyable movie. It was a comedy that came out about 10 or 15 years ago called Evan Almighty. It's where God called a congressman uh, to build an ark, if you remember that movie. And um, God was played by uh, Morgan Freeman. Thank you. Uh, so I saw this scene between Morgan Freeman and Evan, and so they're, uh, they're talking, and God is revealing himself to, to Evan. And uh, I just found that... Now, by the way, Morgan Freeman plays God about as well as anybody in Hollywood ever has. But it's still comically bad. I mean, how do you play God? How do you even play a role like that? It isn't possible. Because Hollywood does not have any concept of God whatsoever. In one of the scenes, Morgan Freeman was talking to uh, Evan's wife, and because she's having trouble making sense of all of this, and uh, she tells him, hey, my, uh, uh, she doesn't know it's God. She says, hey, my husband is, built, is the guy who's building the ark. Uh, and Morgan Freeman, as God, says, you know, I love that story. He said, people think it's a, a story about judgment, but it's not that way at all. She said, oh, yeah, what, what is it? And he said, well, I think it's a love story. And I thought, well, I don't know what Bible Morgan Freeman or Hollywood is reading, but in that love story, every man, woman, and child on the planet died because of their sin, except for one family. It was all about judgment. It wasn't about mean God. It was about a people who had abandoned their faith in God that were faithless. And the Bible says that God was grieved because of the sin of mankind. He was in pain because of our sin and our unrepentance. Even in his mercy, they wouldn't accept the mercy. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do because they had their rights. They had their freedoms to do whatever they wanted to do. Does that sound familiar? That's where our world is now. Not just our country, but our entire world. We got no time and place for God. We don't have any desire for any kind of authority figure. So we just pretend he's not there. And I assure you, God is not neutral. He has noticed. And so, I, so when we talk about God, when God says, my thoughts aren't like your thoughts, oh yeah, oh yeah. I can't even fathom the creator of the universe, what he's thinking right now. What, what the multitude of his thoughts, the, the complexity of his thoughts, the brilliance of his thoughts are so far above us. So he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Again, understatement of the, of the, of the, history of the world. He says, neither are your ways my ways. God says, I don't do things the way that you do things. 
I don't think about things the way you think about things. And so in order for us and God to come together, something has to happen. This is not like Democrats and Republicans in Congress. They got to come together. They got to compromise in order to get a bill passed that here's God and here's us and we'll just compromise. I'll do a little less sinning and he'll come down to my level. There's none of that. God says, my thoughts are not your thought. My ways are not your ways. And the opportunity here is to stop doing what we're doing and get on board and do what God's doing. That's what he's calling us to do as individuals, as churches, and as a nation. God is saying there is a limited time here. I'm opening my door. I'm, I'm going to answer the call if you call me, but you're going to have to change your ways and do what I tell you to do because God ways, God's ways are better. They lead to salvation. Our ways lead to destruction. And that's the future of our nation and our world apart from God. It's a call to God's plan. We've been studying on Wednesday nights how the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they're complaining all the way. They had difficulty with God's plans. And by the way, it doesn't make any kind of logical human sense to have three million people go out in the middle of the desert. I, I, I can understand their struggle with that. Why not go by the coastline? That, that makes sense. There's, there's more there. It, it's, it's easier to follow. But he had them go out to Sinai and spend 80 days and all out there. So they decided they didn't want uh, God's plan. Moses struggled with it as well. Do you remember way back in Egypt? At the very beginning. Now he grows. He matures. God teaches him. But at the beginning... God called him in the burning bush. He goes to, to, to let God's people go. He goes and tells the message to the Pharaoh. And apparently Moses expected Pharaoh just to say, oh, okay. <laughs> Ooh, a staff and a snake. Ooh, scary. All right, you can go. Well, Pharaoh doesn't do that. God knows Pharaoh's not going to do that. In fact, God's the one that hardened his heart. He'll, he just gave him over to his own ego is what God did, I think. And his ego went amok. And so, <clears throat> so Moses uh, it makes the, the appeal to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's response was, no, I'm not going to let your people go. Why would I let your people go? And so then he punished the people, the Israelites, as slaves by making them make bricks because they, they built buildings. To build buildings, you need bricks. To make bricks, you need straw. He said, I'm going to make you make these bricks without any straw. Now, you can't make bricks without straw, so they had to go out in the fields and get their own straw, which took a whole lot of time and a whole lot of effort. And Pharaoh expected them to have the same quota, even though they had to go get your, their own straw. So it doubled the workload, and they couldn't do it. And so then they were being oppressed and beaten because they couldn't do it. And so they came to Moses and said, Moses, this is crummy. You, you made it worse. So what did Moses do? He said, look, hang on. God's got plan." This is all going to be good. You're going to be free in a few weeks. Trust the plan. Trust. The... No, he didn't do that at all. He immediately went to God and said, God, what are you doing? I came and did what I was supposed to do. And it's just gotten worse. Your plan's terrible. That's what Moses was implying. God, your plan's terrible. We think, oh, that awful Moses. We would never do that. <laughs> no, we're not any different. And so God is calling the Israelites. Look, your plan hadn't worked out. You're all in captivity. You're all a bunch of slaves. Why don't you think about my plan? 
uh, here in Isaiah. Few people have ever played basketball like Pete Maravich. He was a scoring machine who broke every major, nearly every major college scoring record. Ten years as an NBA star and millions of dollars later, he retired unhappy and empty. But that's not the end of the story. In 1983, Pete surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. For the next four years, his driving passion was to share his faith in Christ with others and to tell them about the joy that he had found in Christ. Then in 1988, he died suddenly of heart failure. He was only 40 years old. Why did God take him? Why did he allow Pete to continue or why didn't he allow Pete to continue leading people to Christ? People asked that question, but they discovered the answer in his autopsy. Doctors discovered that Pete had a congenital heart problem that would have prevented him from playing basketball. In fact, they said he should have uh, not lived beyond the age of 20. Suddenly, we could get just a glimpse of God's wonderful ways. He didn't take Pete early. He spared him for another 20 years so that he would come to faith in Christ. See, God's ways aren't our ways. His time is not like our time. His thoughts aren't like our thoughts. Number three, it's a call to God's harvest. A call to God's harvest. Look with me in our passage, Isaiah 55, verse 10, says it this way. This is God speaking, by the way. As the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Let me say that again. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. Now God talks about his ways and now he describes his ways here. He says, let me tell you, my way always works. It's so dependable. It's like the rain, which by the way, here in the 21st century, ultimately you and I, our life is completely and solely dependent upon God bringing the rain. If God hadn't set up the world this way and did not maintain the world and the world order the way it is naturally, if we didn't have any more rain, Seven billion people on earth would die. We're still, we still look up to the skies going, I hope it rains. We, we don't have any say in that. And God says, let me tell you, the, the way I've established the world, it rains. And when it rains, it waters everything. And when it waters everything, plants grow. And when the crops grow, you have something to eat. Every time. God says, you know, my ways are that way. My plan is that way. Every time it's going to be faithful. I will accomplish what I desire and I will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's going to happen. Spring will be here soon in Texas. We look forward to that. Even though we have mild winters here, but spring means rain. Now, it's kind of rainy out there this morning, but we get heavier rains in the spring. We get used to it. It's, it rains enough in April and May, and sometimes even into June, where it's nice and green, and we just get accustomed to rain all the time. But in July and August, if it rains, it's a treat. <laughs> it's special. 
Because that Texas sun has been out and it's just cooking everything. Everything's turning brown. And I love in July and August waking up in the middle of the night hearing it pouring because I know everything's going to turn green again for a week or so and going to come back to life. Because it's faithful always. God's Word can change human life. And then lastly, it is a call to God's joy. Oh, I love this. Part of the passage is so beautiful. Isaiah 55, verse 12. Here, again, these people are in captivity. They're in punishment for their sins. They're, they're in foreign nations. They're not even on their home soil anymore. And God says this. This, is, this may be the most beautiful verse in the Bible. He says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in what? Peace. Now, usually when you're led forth, it's a reference to slaves being drugged. They're all shackled and they're being drugged in a group. He says, not now. He says, you're going to go out in joy and you're going to be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Instead of the thorn bush, will grow a pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. As a little boy, one of the first songs my mother ever taught me was, I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in the, my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Do you have joy? Or are you just trying to get through life? Do you have real joy? The song that Roxanne led us in today, one of the songs said this, you turn graves into gardens and bones into armies. <laughs> That's so much like Isaiah 55. Isn't that beautiful? Now I want to share with you, I don't often do this, this passage Paraphrase. Now, paraphrase, paraphrase translation is not a real translation of the Bible. It's somebody's interpretation. They soften it up. They simplify it so that children can understand it. And so I don't preach from it often. So it is, it is a paraphrase, but I like the way the author says it or interprets this passage. Listen to this. Seek the Lord while he's here to be found. Pray to him while he's close at hand. Let the wicked abandon their way of life and the evil their way of thinking. Let them come back to God who is merciful. Come back to our God who is lavish with forgiveness. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. That's God's decree. For as the, as the, sky, excuse me, as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. Just as rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, doing their work of making things grow and blossom, producing seed for farmers and food for the hungry. So will the words that come out of my mouth not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment I gave them. So you'll go out in joy. You'll be led 
into a whole and complete life. The mountains and hills will lead the parade, bursting with song. All the trees of the forest will join the procession, exuberant with applause. No more thistles, but giant sequoias. No more thorn bushes, but stately pines. Monuments to me, to God, living and lasting evidence of God. Wow. That's beautiful, is it not? John, in John chapter 16, Jesus was sharing with his disciples one final time before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. And they don't know what's going on, but they're going to be in grief. They're going to be horrified. The next four days are the worst of their life. And so in chapter 16, verse 22, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. That tells us the joy of the Lord through Jesus Christ is a joy that no politics or politician can take away. It's a joy that no circumstance can take away. It's a joy that no problem can take away. The joy of the Lord is everlasting. When Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to the disciples that day, do you think they were upset about the politics of the Roman government or that, their oppression? Do you think they cared about how much money they had in the bank or how many bills they had to pay? They didn't care about that stuff because Jesus was alive. And that meant that you and I could have eternal life through Christ. Many years ago, I was preaching across the street at this church, I had gotten a new cell phone. Again, it was the new technology. I had to have the new thing, you know. It was a Sony Ericsson back when Sony made these little, you know, I don't know if you remember this or if you're even old enough, but now the thing is to make the biggest phone possible. They're gigantic. They're ginormous. They're tablets. At the time, because they weren't smartphones, the goal was to make a phone as tiny as possible. And the, the smaller they were, the more they cost. And so I had this little tiny Sony Ericsson. I was very proud of it. Uh, it answered phone calls. It's the only thing it did. But I, it was a cool-looking phone back in the day. And so I'm in the middle of my sermon, preaching on a Sunday morning to First Baptist Church Hazel, and my Sony Ericsson phone rings right in the middle of the sermon. Now, this is before salespeople even knew your phone number. There were no sales calls. I don't know if you remember that day. <laughs> So when somebody called, I knew it was somebody that I knew. And my contact list was limited because they're just, you have to manually input them. In, uh. Anyway, uh, so my phone rings in the middle of the sermon and my immediate thought was, who would call me in the middle of my sermon? What are they thinking? That I'm just going to stop my sermon and answer the call and talk to them? Who would do that? It disrupted the sermon. I, I you know, I, I, this probably before the day of the mute button, I don't know, but I was kind of offended. And so I, it kept ringing. So I, had to, I took it out to turn it off. And when I looked at it, just for a moment, it said, Mom. Yeah. You know, uh, my disposition changed very quickly because it was Mom. <laughs> 
Any person in the world other than her, I'd have been mad. But this is my mom. And listen to me. I would give anything in the world if mom would call me right now. But the time has passed. God is saying to you and I and to our nation, I'm waiting for you to call. But the time will pass. Will you accept his call? Pray with me. Father, as we come to you today, first we acknowledge that just as it was for the Israelites, they were in bondage for one reason and one reason only. It wasn't bad luck. It was their sin. And I know we live in a, a world in a time where sin is not popular, even the, the thought or the concept or the word. We just think in terms of freedoms and choices, choice A or choice B. We don't like the idea of sin because that implies that we're doing something wrong, but the reality is there is sin in our life. There are those things that disappoint you. And you made us for more. We come to you right now in the name of Jesus and we ask for forgiveness. Oh, forgive us. As a nation, forgive us. Oh, forgive us. As a church, we have not done our part to share your light to this dying world where we have become so distracted and so uh, self-focused on what we want and what we like and our ways and our thoughts. Oh, God, forgive us. We ask and pray for that forgiveness in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Will you cleanse us? We desire your mercy. We need your peace. We long for your joy. Thank you for answering the call. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Listen to me. God is waiting for your call. He will remove every sin in your life, every doubt, every fear. He has a solution for every problem. He has a path and a plan. Stop trying to do things your way. And do it God's way. Will you come to him right now? Will you answer the call? I want to challenge you to come get on your knees on these steps up here and come before your God and answer the call. Or right where you are. Will you answer the call? You can't expect the country to do it if you won't do it. You can't expect the world to come to God and to re in repentance if, if we won't do that. God loves you. He's merciful to you as he was to the Israelites in the Old Testament. He does not want to see you in judgment any more than he wanted to see them in judgment. He's waiting to restore your life, to give you peace and joy right now, right now, right here, if you let him. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. and You want to serve him here, just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join or you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And it is surrender. But if you surrender to Him, you repent of your sins. You ask for forgiveness. God is so faithful. And if you believe in faith in the resurrection of Jesus, in that moment of surrender, God will save you, redeem you, forgive you, and begin His purpose in your life. Will you do that?
No one's looking. Would you stand right where you are? And as you stand, as you continue to pray right now, you come.